please watch our movie on the largest screen possible. And one day, very, very soon, take everyone you know into a theater, shoulder to shoulder, in that dark space, and watch every film that's represented here tonight. We give this one to our wolf. Hello and welcome to the Movie Robcast. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Wallace, and as always, it's an absolute delight to be joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it's a pleasure beyond measure to be here. Uh, tonight, we're going to be discussing the uh, the winners uh, and, and the not winners of the uh, 2021 Academy Awards. Yeah, so we're recording this on the 26th of April, so the day afterwards, so the Monday night. And yeah, so I got up this morning, I'd recorded it last night, it was shown on Sky. So I whizzed through the four hour ceremony in about an hour and 45 minutes. Have you seen any of it? I've literally seen one or two clips. Mostly I've seen articles commenting on the ceremony. Right. Um, I know it's, this is the thing that always gets said, you didn't miss much. But this year, that kind of goes, I would say, triple. Once the novelty of just how scaled back it was had worn off, which was about a minute or two into the ceremony, it was just odd. It just seemed so, so scaled back and just so lacklustre. It just seemed so subdued, but not really shorter, despite the fact that all the songs were in the pre-show segment so there were no songs in it and they hadn't got clips for most of the films. You know, when they do the clip reels for the films to illustrate the award being given, they had a few of those, but not for most of the awards. So it just seemed like a very, it actually seemed a bit like you were at a company away day, <laughs> just having to watch lots of different speakers talk about next year's projections and how we're doing this quarter. Yeah, I heard that there were also certain uh, production decisions that were made that uh, were possibly made on certain presumptions that did not, in fact, come to fruition. Well, I'm going to say one of the things that I thought about the production decisions, but then it would be interesting to see what you'd read. So the actual set, because it's normally at at the Kodak Theatre, this time it wasn't, it was at a much smaller venue, and it looked like a half-book cruise, and the entertainment staff had decided to try and do an Oscars night... It just looked really, or or it looked like the set of an ITV game show. But it really did just remind me of how a cruise ship entertainment room looks there. And it's like, and of course, everyone was kind of social distanced. And the whole thing just seemed very empty. But what were the things that you read? I read that the decision not to end with the best picture was a mistake. Yes, I would talk about that because that was, yeah. Actually, I might just talk about that now if that's okay. Yeah. So Steven Soderbergh was the producer of this Oscars and was upfront about the fact that he was going to make some changes to the traditional Oscar ceremony. And some of those things were, you could understand why, so there wasn't comedy skits in this one. And I kind of thought, actually, the ceremony is on a bit of a hiding to nothing here anyway, because if they do have comedy skits in there and people coming out talking about the year in film and being quite light, then 
it will inevitably draw the criticism that millionaires are not taking the last year seriously and everything is just a big joke to them because they live in Tinseltown and their lives are amazing. So it decided to go incredibly straight this year, very, very subdued and respectful, which of course then means that the criticism is, this is just dull and there's no fun to any of this. So that was one thing that I thought, okay, well, I can kind of see why he did that, but I don't think it works. Not having the songs in there. I mean, the songs are always the thing where you think, oh, this is just ages and just get the songs over. And why do you have to have the songs? But the songs actually were missed by just not being there. They didn't have an orchestra, of course. They uh, they had a DJ who's very famous and I'm so famous, I can't actually remember his name. But yeah, the running order. So to have the best picture announced as the third from last award and then best actress and then best actor. You know who's won, as in like, yeah, the Academy Committee know who's won. So you know this is going to end on an anticlimax because Anthony Hopkins isn't here to receive his award. And He's they not had a BFI. Sorry, yeah. yeah, but because I heard that they had quite strict, they wouldn't let you just zoom in from wherever you happen to be. You had to be either at the the at the main location or at the BFI in, in London or at a cinema in Seoul. So there was a place in Australia for Sasha Baron Cohen because he lives there with um, Isla Fisher. French crew members for Sound of Metal had a link from Paris. And then it was the BFI screening room in London was where all the British nominees were. Anthony Hopkins is 83 and clearly thought, I can't be asked to stay up for this. So he went to bed and it was like, and not having Zoom there, it's like, I can kind of understand again, the reasoning for it being like, well, Zoom has hasn't really worked that well in other ceremonies. We want this to be a in-person event as much as possible. But sorry, but you should have had some Zoom there because it would have, I think, actually broken up the ceremony a bit and it would have brought a bit of life to it. And crucially, it might have meant that Anthony Hopkins was there to give an announcement because Nomadland won for Best Picture. So everyone gets up and gives their heartfelt speeches for that. Then immediately afterwards, Frances McDormand goes up again because she's just won the Best Actress Award for Nomadland. And I I read that it was like she didn't have anything else to say because she said it all in the acceptance speech for Best Picture because she was one of the producers. I don't think that's entirely right, because she is only second only to Catherine Hepburn now, who won four Oscars. So she's won three. I thought she could have said something else, but she gave a bit of a weird speech, to be honest, about how her work is her sword. But it was very brief, and she seemed a bit annoyed that she was having to speak again so she just gives this brief speech walks off then they announced that the best actor and you can kind of see like you know the hollywood scripting here it's like it's going to be chadwick boseman he's going to win it this is why it's last he's going to win it they will then give this big in tribute to chadwick boseman because he was such a tragic loss last year and then it's anthony hopkins and joaquin phoenix because he won last year for Joker, is presenting it. He says to camera, Anthony Hopkins can't be with us tonight. The Academy accepts the award on his behalf. That's our show, folks. Thanks very much. And it abruptly ends. The way the way I've described, I've, I've heard the ending described, and this, I, not having seen the ending, I can only assume that this is perfect, is basically in Looney Tunes, where Bugs Bunny gets yanked off stage by one of those kind of hooks. Yeah, it was. it was kind of like that. It was the... It was such a weird ending that I thought the irony here is that no Hollywood studio would allow a film to end this bizarrely. 
There's no catharsis. There's no happy ending to this. It's like everyone's really surprised that Anthony Hopkins has won this because it just seemed to be Chadwick Boseman's award. And also it ends your show on a really weird and abrupt note because the guy who won it can't say anything because he's not there. And then he just stopped. And it was back to the studio in London. And I thought, well, presumably the organisers knew who had won. So therefore could have changed the running order back to Best Picture because that would have been a more triumphant ending. I almost like to feel like Soderbergh has a streak of perversity in him. No, we will end on the anticlimax. The only thing that explains any of it is that he thought, yeah, I know, that's what I want. Really? Because last year the Oscars was watched by 20 million people, which was an all-time record low. And they're trying to get more people to watch it this year with films that, to be honest, apparently 30% of the target audience hadn't heard of any of the best picture films. And the figures for last night, I think it was about 9.85 million in the States watched it, which was down 58% on last year. I mean, it was, but then again, I thought, well, this is like watching a corporate away day that has a really bizarre ending as well. Yeah, just decisions were made. Whether they were the right ones is, well, they weren't. But you've seen The Father. Anthony Hopkins, who is now the oldest person to win a Best Actor Oscar, he won for The Father. Everyone thought it was going to be Chadwick Boseman. But what do you think? Because you've seen both films. You've You've seen The Father. So is he a worthy winner? Hopkins gave my performance of the year. I think well, both The Father and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom are based on uh, based on plays. Um, with uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it's August Wilson. And with um, The Father, it's Florian Zeller, who picked up, uh, co-picked up the Best uh, Adapted Screenplay Award. Yeah. Um, and I think Chadwick Boseman is great in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but it's a very declamatory part. It's very rooted in the theatricality with the monologues in a way that it's a much more, I think, obvious Oscar nom than Anthony Hopkins' role in The Father, which is very much subsumed within this character and his kind of very subjective experience of... It's it's a film that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil for anyone, and, the, and, and having seen it on stage, I, the stage version does this as well, it carries a certain conceit over that allows you to explore the disorientation and the idea of being... Uh, of, of experiencing dementia of experiencing kind of you know the loss of your faculties of your of your critical your ability to remain sort of critical critically observant it's it's an absolutely brutal film it's you know it's probably my probably my number two to nomadland and nomadland wins because i'm i guess i said i'm a a massive softie for gentle core for, for for people having strong but mildly expressed feelings about things but yeah i think i think the father is. I think it's a film that people will genuinely look back on and think, yeah, that's that could, that that holds claim to be a masterpiece. Whereas Ma Rainey, and, and it's a film that I think survives on the, the conceit behind it. Whereas Ma Rainey's at bottom is is a very good film adaptation of a theatre production that lives and dies mainly on the strength of the performances. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's the and that actually gets into another point that um, one of the other winners was um, Yoon Yoo Jung, the Korean woman who won Best Supporting Actress for Minari. She gets up on stage because, of course, Glenn Close has been nominated eight times for an Oscar, never won. Everyone kind of thought it was going to be Glenn Close's year. It then goes to Yoon Yoo Jung. She gets up on stage and says, and she was lovely because she 
was uh, seemed slightly taken aback by the whole thing and said, yeah, I don't really believe in competition. I don't know how my performance in this film can be judged better than a performance in another film that's quite different and (laughs) called into question and sharp relief the whole silly nature of awards. But in a really, really nice way, said, I I just think this is... I just think this is American hospitality being very nice to someone who's a newcomer into your industry. (laughs) So she was lovely. But yes, it was... There was an element of that. And it just seemed... I think maybe because the films were so unusual and not really Oscar, apart from the trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank, and you could just see the Academy so happy that there were two films that seemed quite Oscar traditional. But just the idea of putting something like Minari and The Father and Sound of Metal up against each other, it's like, well, yeah, I think one of the reasons this doesn't work is because these are all just very, very good films that had a particular vision to them and and weren't really part of the big publicity machine that Hollywood uses for the Oscars because there was no real publicity machine last year. I guess, on the other hand, wouldn't you much prefer that? I I would would almost much prefer a disparate group of films that, to whatever degree, some, you know, maybe some, some, some still more than others, have benefited or not benefited from the publicity machine. I mean, like, this year, to whatever extent, has been a great leveller i think in terms of the oscars because like you you could almost like if any of the films like for example for best picture nomadland the father judas and the black messiah mank benari promising young woman sound of metal trial of the chicago seven if any of them had come out and won but maybe to what who would insiders you know insiders there would have been a massive upset there but like i could have plausibly believed any of them Yes, but the thing there that's a real shame is that there's no real way to tell what kind of bump these films are going to get from their Oscar spotlight because they're all going to streaming. So, yeah, Sound of Metal is on Amazon now. Nomadland, I think, is going to Disney Plus this month and it seems to be a streaming, like an SVOD film. Promising Young Woman went to Sky Cinema. So it's like, yeah, it would be interesting to see how these films would have fared if people were able to go and see them in the cinema. I know that Nomadland's going to get released in the cinema on on the 17th of May, but it would have already had a few weeks on Disney Plus at that point, which has to eat into the amount of audience that it's going to get at the cinema. Um, Borat, of course, was last autumn, as as was Mank. So The Father, I think, is the only one that hasn't been released yet, has it? Or has that been released to rent? Uh, no, not in, not in the UK, it hasn't. Uh, it was an award ceremony that was doomed to fail because they because you couldn't have people zooming in. They didn't want to have any kind of levity. I mean, there were some very, very moving moments in there about um, the injustices that have happened this year, the amount of people that have died because of COVID, but also because of um, the American police, to be honest. Tyler Perry actually gave, so he won the Humanitarian Award. He gave a very good speech, and it was like a plea for tolerance, and actually included, I don't hate you just because you're a policeman. And that seemed to kind of like, catch some people by surprise. And I thought, well, that's the whole point of what he's saying is that um, you can't just hate people because they belong to a certain group. But I thought it was actually quite brave for him to include that because it was an understandably uneasy sentiment to uh, to be saying at this time. Yeah, so when the politics were on the sleeve, so that element of it I thought was good. It just wasn't really balanced by any kind of levity. And uh, that did seem to be a, an editorial decision. Apart from Glenn Close twerking, that was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I was about to say... I, I I missed the whole thing. I clearly missed that. Multiple, multiple Oscar winner Glenn Close. I'm currently looking <laughs> at the um the in memoriam list. It's a long list in in any sense, 
but also just in terms of the number of names that are like, you know, are household names. Cecily Tyson, Ian Holm, Max von Sydow, Cloris Leachman, Yafet Koto, Joel Schumacher, Olivia de Havilland, Irfan Khan, Christopher Plummer. And sorry, this is, I'm being very cold right now, going through a list, just randomly picking out names of people that are somehow more, more worthy than other people. But there's, a, there's an overwhelming list here with a lot of people who individually in a year would have been, would have been, you know, shocking. But yeah, there was, um, that part ended with Sean Connery and then Chadwick Boseman. And I was thinking about as I was watching, I was thinking, wow, there are a lot of people that, to your point, are household names that died last year. Of course, there were also like a lot of other people that died last year. But yeah, it did. I mean, that was <laughs> rather grimly was the only part of the ceremony that seemed to match the mood. That was the only part of the ceremony that really worked because it well, like, is well, quite like, a somber I, I, moment. I heard that it they absolutely powered through it. It was like, we're not spending any longer on this than we have to. On that? On the in memoriam, yeah, section. That, that might as well yeah. have been on fast forward. Um, it didn't. It didn't strike me as that. To be honest, it was, I think it's because there weren't any clips in it, and that's the thing is that they will often have clips in these things, and you think, well, you are a film award ceremony, but there's a noticeable lack of clips here. Why are you choosing to do it like this? Because I think the thing there is, it would have been better to have Sean Connery saying the name's Bond. James Bond. It would have been better to have had um, Christopher Plummer from Dragnet <laughs> as that wonderful, that, that's, that's as your the wonderful reverend. Go to for everything. I Rob, you, love... you, Rob, Rob, you said that you want to have Christopher Plummer from Dragnet at your own funeral. I do. I would love that. I would love that so much. I love the film Dragnet, and I love Christopher Plummer in it because he's such an elegant gentleman of cinema who so understood the comedy of that film and plays it so beautifully. It's like, oh my God. I mean, of course, he is one of the great actors, but he is so great in Dragnet. Now, let me tell you something, Strebeck. There are two things that clearly differentiate the human species from animals. One, we use cutlery. Two, we're capable of controlling our sexual urges. Now, you might be an exception, but don't drag me down to your private hell. It's one of my favourite lines of all time, that is. <laughs> oh, that feels so, so quotable. As um, Dabney Coleman saying to Christopher Plummer, who of course is the corrupt reverend, you've got balls as big as church bells, reverend. Thank you. <laughs> what a great PG movie that is. I did not know, actually, and it was only in watching the In Memoriam section, that the Korean director Kim Kiduk had died. So he directed a film called The Isle, and he did some other very, very good films as well. And I did not know that he died last year, and that was a real shame. So so that worked. <laughs> I was disappointed that Quo Vadis Aida didn't win the best international film, and it predictably went to another round. Thomas Vinterberg's acceptance speech was actually very moving, because his daughter was supposed to be in the film, but she was killed in a road accident four days before the film was due to start. So they had to recast her, which is the reason why Mads Mikkelsen has two sons in the film rather than a son and a daughter. He gave a very, very good speech. And they did actually show clips from all the foreign films that were nominated. And just watching that 30-second clip from Quo Vadis Aida, it was like, I'm sorry, but this this is one of the best films uh, possibly of the decade. This might be in my top 10 of the year, of, of the decade list, So, but it's going to be another round because more people saw that one. But Quo Vadis Aida is out to rent now. So 
I strongly recommend anyone listening to rent it because it's such a brilliant film. I have not yet seen it, but I certainly will. And then apart from that, there was, um, I think the rest of them were all pretty predictable. So um, Emerald Fennell winning Best Original Screenplay for Promising Young Woman. I do think that there has to be a halt put on posh Brits acting eccentrically and delightfully flustered when they win Oscars. It's like, oh, do we have to watch this again? Do we have to watch them say really antiquated words <laughs> to show how British they are and how like, oh, we never really show emotion. Why is this just so, so difficult because, oh, we're having to cry in public. And it's like, oh, <laughs> every time, every year we have a posh Brit do this exact act and it should be nominated in itself. Which is why I want to see Ray Winston win something so that he could... You just go, fucking hell. <laughs> Look at this. Fucking Oscar. You <laughs> <be> can. Yeah. <laughs> You've only got to fucking vote with me for best supporting actor, you bunch of Muppet cans. <laughs> oh my God. That would be one of the best Oscars ever. Oh, he has to get into another film. He hasn't been in a film for a while now. So, yeah. Um, Daniel Kaluuya was good when he accepted his. His was a nice speech. It got a bit weird when he said, it's just amazing that this has happened and that we're all at this alive at the same time. And my mum and my dad had sex and here I am. And his mum and his sister were in the BFI watching it on a screen. So and there was a camera on them. And when he started saying that, his sister just was just laughing with her face in her hands. And his mum looked really annoyed. <laughs> you could see his mum was like, what's he talking about? Why is he talking about me and his dad having sex now? <laughs> because it's funny. Like, and it was like, I thought, oh, Daniel's going to get slap legs when he goes home to visit his mum. <laughs> but it did make me laugh. So Paul Racy was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for um, Sound of Metal. And I watched that at the weekend. That was a good movie, wasn't it? And that one for editing? Was it editing? And also for Best Song. Um not best song that went to Judas and the Black Messiah. I think it was editing and sound. Best sound, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a great film, one that really does immerse you into the, sort of the experience of 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 the lead character played by Riz Ahmed, who's, who's great in it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I've experienced far fewer of the Oscar nominees this year on the big screen than I ever had before, including the Best Picture one. You know, no matter that we watched that on a relatively small screen. I think it was a strong year. I stand by yeah, it. I, I, yeah. think, I think it was a really strong year. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the films, I mean, that's the thing is there aren't a lot of films that were nominated. In fact, there aren't any films that, that were nominated in the main categories that I think were just in there because they bought their way in there. All of them deserve their place. And Sound of Metal, yeah, I mean, it was, it'd be interesting to see it at the cinema because of the sound design. I did like the fact that I could watch it at home with the headphones on and not have to worry about anyone around me making noise, because it is a film that, as you said, is really immersive in its sound design. And it got under my skin in a way as well, because I'm so, oh, I just, it just really conveys the horror of your hearing suddenly going. And I think that's like, a second only to sight would be a sense where you would be terrified immediately as to what was happening. And But you could hide it quite well, because of course no one would know unless you told them or until it became very obvious that you couldn't hear what they were saying. But that moment when it happens was like, oh, that's really well done in terms of just how vulnerable you you then are. And yeah, I thought the film didn't really pull any punches. I thought it was it was very moving. It had an ending that kind of has really, really stuck with me over the past few days. 
yeah, that was a really, really great film. Um, and Judas and the Black Messiah, again, has haunted me. The Trial of the Chicago 7. <laughs> Is it a film that I, would, I might suggest has not haunted you? Well, it didn't win anything. It was fine. And I actually really quite enjoyed watching it because everyone in it's very good. It's very well shot. Uh, it was it was a good, fun, populist bit of history. But then the end scene, I'm going to spoil it, but the end scene is just almost as bad as the underground scene from Darkest Hour with Winston Churchill on the underground. I thought this can't possibly have happened. And you read it and it's like, no, it hasn't. And then you read what did happen and what was said at the end of the trial. And I think that Aaron Sorkin might actually regret his decision now because what was said at the end of the trial in real life, rings so relevant as to what has happened in the US over the past year, that it's like this would have been extraordinary if you'd have just had them act out verbatim what the defendants were saying in the trial 50 years ago. But you chose to go with a really weird, corny ending that isn't true and really missed that opportunity. So, uh, and it kind of left a lot of bad taste in my mouth. I thought that's the, one of the reasons why I don't like Aaron Sorkin, because he just, he'll just do this. It's like, he thinks he knows better than what happened, how he can present that moment. And it's like, eh, he kind of, you got away with it with a social network, but you didn't get away with it this time. So yeah, it's fine, but the ending is rubbish. So turn it off about three minutes before the end. <laughs> Frances McDormand, did you... See her howling like a wolf when she... I did not, but I heard that there was at least a, a reason behind it. Well, it's because there's, there's a bit of Nomadland, isn't there, when they're howling, I think. Well, I, I also heard that the howl was dedicated to someone. Well, that didn't come across at all. That, uh, yeah, I, I think it's one of those that the howl was dedicated or something they'd done with a uh, the production sound mixer, Michael Wolf Snyder. Who, um, who I think had uh, committed suicide in March, and actually I think he appears in the in memoriam section, and that's where I think it comes from, from Michael Wolf Snyder. Right, Francis McDormand is a perfect example of sometimes it really pays not to watch an actor you admire win an award, because she always does something kind of like yes, it's a nice reason you're doing it, but. You've not let anyone else in on it and it's all awkward and we don't know why you're doing this. Because you said something about like, yes, and and the wolf is with us and and then just started howling like a wolf. And I was like, okay, is that because was there a bit in Nomadland when they were howling like a wolf? I just thought it was that. Go, oh, I'm sorry, Francis, but you always make it awkward when you win an Oscar. <laughs> so yes. Chloe Zhao was uh she was good. She gave a nice speech, and of course she's the first woman of colour to win a Best Director Oscar. Um, David Fincher was there, which was nice because he must have realised he wasn't going to win anything. <laughs> I was actually amazed or surprised that Mank won two. So it won for cinematography and production design. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was. it just made me think it has to be next year at the Kodak Theatre again because if it's not, and it's like this again next year, I think they might start letting people zoom in because... Um, just a bit flat, really. So, yeah. John Baptiste actually gave a very good speech for Soul. So it was him and Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And he was the one that gave the speech. And yeah, his was good. I like him anyway, because he's Stephen Colbert's band leader. So he's always on uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He's always on those clips there. So he was good. And 
Tenet won one. So the Oscar-winning Tenet won for visual effects. That was good at level with the Oscar-winning Suicide Squad. Yep, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, one that I was going to ask you about. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher? No, I've. It's on Netflix. I've heard it's fine, but there were clearly so many takes done of each scene. Calling an a, a documentary might be stretching it. Yeah, I thought this can't just be about a guy who finds an octopus that does some cute things and films it and learns a bit more about the world through this octopus. There has to be something else here because it's up against time which everyone has said is a transformative experience watching that movie. And it's very much a film of the moment in terms of its relevancy and the oppression of minorities and the overrepresentation of black people in the American prison system. Crip Camp, it just looks great. I mean, it just looks like an absolutely fascinating documentary about the um, struggle for disabled people to be recognised and for their rights to be recognised. Collective, you've seen, I, I, I think that's right. and Yeah, about the... Uh... Romanian uh, medical system or the health system and how it's over abuse. Yeah, I, I get, get what you're saying. You know, all of those sound slightly more worthy than a documentary, a potentially staged documentary about a guy who maybe does or does not fuck an octopus. <laughs> and it's not just that I, have, I haven't gone. seen it. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to say. Well, I think the octopus fucks him and gives him a reach around because got so many arms you see gives him seven reach arounds i believe that's exactly what happens in that film you know obviously octopuses can squeeze their way through tight spaces yeah indeed it's like, i'm not gonna kink shame i'm not gonna kink shame if that's your thing i guess yeah my only my only question is is anus or urethra and um, i'm just thinking how disgusting can we get right now because i've got loads of stuff about ink and beaks but i'll Leave that for the imagination. It just seemed as if this was, as you said, a fine, fine, sweet film comprised of many, many uh, different takes to get exactly what they wanted to tell the story that they'd already decided they were going to tell when it's put up against films that are not apparently not just worthy, but also transcendent, powerful examples of documentary filmmaking. And you've seen Time, right? I mean, I yeah. shamefully haven't. And you and I think you liked it from your review of the year. Is that right? Yeah, Time is, time is one of those films like, yeah, this, this is a film that should not be a documentary insofar as it should not exist. But it turns out if you have a heartbreaking experience over a long enough period of time, that it may adhere into something... That really encapsulates, you know, the in this case, the tragic history of African-American incarceration in in America. And it's like, yeah, this should not exist, but it does. And it's an incredible film because of that. Yeah, my octopus teacher might have been one of those where, and I've got no evidence back of this up, but I think people might have thought, well, that sounds like a nice film. So I'll watch that one. So the voting members just watched the nice film and voted for that more because more people had seen it. And again, who doesn't want to see a guy fuck an octopus or be fucked by an octopus? I mean, I didn't think I wanted to see it, but now you've told me that's exactly what happens in the film. I really do want to see that now, I realise. I think I've discovered a new element of myself. So maybe, yeah, I mean, and also that's what he teaches him, presumably. My octopus teacher teaches him about expanding his mind and all sorts of things in this wonderful world. Less is is mind than 
Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, just many things, many things. So, uh, so yeah, actually, now you've said that's exactly what happens in that film. I really want to see it. And anyone who says that that is um, wrong is just a kink shamer and should relook at themselves, I think, which is what the best documentary films allow us all to do. Yep. That's, I, I like to think that anybody who's, who, who listens to this podcast has upon occasion taken a long, hard look at themselves. I certainly know I have. So is that one on, on Netflix? Just asking for a friend. Yep. Cool. It's you that I'm asking for. So. Yep, it's on Netflix. Well, Mark DeVos' teacher is on Netflix. <laughs> you said you were quite interested in it. Yeah, so on that note, oh, Soul. Soul one as well. Yes, yeah, Soul was good. I think I liked, I, I preferred Wolf Walkers on the whole. I haven't seen Wolf Walkers. It's it's about a bunch of people who who alternate who get fucked or ultimately fuck wolves. I I haven't I haven't quite. You found a theme tonight, didn't you? Um... <laughs> wolf Walkers. Oh, I thought it was Wolf something else's. <laughs> yeah, you certainly <laughs> ploughing a furrow tonight. <laughs> I haven't actually watched any films this year. Yeah. You you don't, <laughs> you don't even want to hear what I think Mank is about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so much to say. I think Soul was just a nice hug of a movie at a time when everyone needed that. So I, mean, I actually, in a way, thought that Onward was as good as Soul. So yeah, so that was the Oscars that was, really. Steven Soderbergh seemed to embrace the indie aesthetic of the movies nominated in the way that it was presented. There was no host. Regina King was kind of... Well, she introduced it and then kind of voiceovered it a little bit throughout, but I thought she would be there to wrap it up at the end. But no, it just did that hard cut from Joaquin Phoenix looking awkward to back in the studio. A hard cut from Joaquin Phoenix looking awkward doesn't narrow it down much. No, that's right. It's, um, I think that was contractual, actually. I think he insisted it <laughs> be like that. Yeah, that was that. And it was like, okay, so that was possibly the least fun looking of all the awards shows this year. Just in like an away day, so uh, so yes. But anyway, the next episode is a classic film episode that has a very strong connection to the Oscars. So that was quite a, a fitting one to lead into from this episode. Well, yeah, and I know that quite a lot of prep has gone into it on uh, by by a number of people, not not just you, you, you and myself. This you know feels like one of our uh, yeah, but a, a sort of um, again a more in depth exploration of a, of a classic film, well, not just a film, of a franchise, which I, I guess for better or worse is one of the aspects we'll be discussing about it. I'm really looking forward to it. Indeed, and people that we're going to talk to us about the franchise um, have guested before. They've both been excellent. Yeah, I am very much looking forward to it. Okay, then, well, shall we do plugs? Yes, um, okay, in which case I'll, I'll go first. If, if you're so inclined, based on what you've heard here, you can find my, write, my, my writing at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. I'll follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. And you can find my writing at electric-shadows.com. You can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. You can find me on octopusporn.com probably next month. Um, I think I'll start camming on that. Uh, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm letterboxd.com slash robdan. More importantly, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, we are at MovieRobcast. And if you like what you heard tonight, and how can you not like all that octopus talk, then it would be wonderful if you would rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. 
it helps the podcast and it's always very much appreciated and and if you didn't like the octopus talk we we probably won't do that again specifically i mean it's much of a muchness it's well you're writing checks that i don't think i can cash rob (laughs) i I found something now that i think is going to be quite close to my heart (laughs) but uh yes it's not your heart heart i'm worried about in this situation how many hearts does an octopus have yes so it feels like we're entering into Troy McClaw territory here. It does, yes, right. So yes, it would be great if you could also recommend us to your friends, um, because who doesn't like to hear about two grown men talk about an octopus having sex with someone? That's what the 2021 Oscars was all about. Aquatic nookie. <laughs> On that note, uh, Rob, as you introed, would you like to take us home? Yes. Well, thank you very much for listening. And, uh, well, yeah. Mr. Daniel, thank you very much for for co-hosting. I've, I think I flipped it from my usual our, uh, our usual configuration, but you know what? As, a change is good. Unless you are Steven Soderbergh deciding to rearrange the Oscars, and then change is not so good. Oh God, it's disastrous! What have we done? Clear. Great guys, that was great. I think that went really well.